Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hello, Katie. How are you? Hey, Keith. Doing okay. How about yourself? I'm just fine. I'm just fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. Still weathering this whole uh, stay-at-home situation, like we're st- everybody else. We're, we're still in it together, at least until, an, at a minimum, May 15th for Los Angeles. It could be longer. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, let's get to the pop, because as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about how Drake storms in at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart with Tussie Slide, uh, how the Black Eyed Peas uh, hit, get their first top 10 on the pop songs chart after a very long spell, and how The weekend continues to rule atop the Billboard 200 Albums chart for a third straight week with After Hours. Plus, we're talking about the constantly updating album release calendar since the coronavirus pandemic struck, including a new date for Lady Gaga's Chromatica, which we should be listening to right now, but it got bumped from its original April 10 release. So we discuss why these delays are happening and why some artists are still forging ahead with their original plans. So stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Alrighty, let's do the chart chat. Um, Yes, let's do it, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First up on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, Drake's Tusi Slide slides right into number one in its very first week. Garnering Drake his seventh number one on the chart and his third debut at number one. He's the first male artist to achieve three debuts at number one after previously bowing at the top of the chart with Nice For What and God's Plan. Uh, Drake also led the list with In My Feelings, One Dance featuring Wizkid and Kyla, and also uh, as the featured artist on two of Rihanna's number ones, Work and What's My Name. Now, Tusi uh, also starts at number one on the streaming songs chart with 40, 45? Dyslexia kicking in. 55, Mm. nope, still wrong. 54.9 million US streams in the week ending April 9th, according to Nielsen Music MRC data. It also debuts at number three on the digital song sales chart with 25,000 downloads sold in the week ending April 9th. Um, and jumps 43 to 22 on the all-format radio songs chart. Uh, now, Tusi also gives Drake his 37th top 10 hit on the Hot 100. He's now just one top 10 away from tying Madonna's all-time top 10 record. Get away from her, Drake. Let her have the record. <laughs> I was going to say, Keith is especially happy about that specific record-breaking. Step, step away from that specific <laughs> record book, Drake. <laughs> It feels inevitable, Keith. I'm so sorry to tell you. Yeah, I know. Records were meant to be broken. Still, it's sad. <laughs> so, uh, are you listening to this song, Tusi Slide, like the rest of the world, Keith? What do we think about it? I have listened to it. 
<laughs> it, it feels like a song that was, you know, no shade to Drake, but I guess it could be perceived that way. It feels like a song that was literally designed for people to dance to on TikTok, and it only exists for that. It, it Unlike In My Feelings, which became a meme and a moment and a viral dance moment and something that was like it turned into a dance craze, this feels like it was crafted like in like a test tube to become a TikTok thing. And I feel like it was reverse engineered that way. And I'm like, I I feel like it could have been more successful the other way around. But that's just hmm. me. Just me. Well, he is the king of the memes and he basically just decided to lean into it by being super obvious with his meme creation this time around. It's not like something that became a meme accidentally. It just was birthed a meme. But I actually like the song and think that it's a very smooth, easy listen. Um, and it's very repetitive, which makes it easy to just sing along to after like two listens. So um, I can see why it's number one, because I've been streaming it for the past week. So I'm one of the people that put it there. It's I mean, it's super catchy. I mean, it's 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 he's no slouch in the in the catchy department for Pete's sakes. No, but no. Um, yeah, it's just it feels it feels like it's a bit long for what it is. I'm like, you could have made this a really short song and still accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. But, you know, whatever. The video is great, too. I don't know if you've watched the video yet, but it's a delightful uh, trip around his mansion in Toronto with all of his uh, billboard trophies. He's got a lot of trophies. Yeah. The dude a has a few trophies. I, I hear he's popular. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, next up, the Black Eyed Peas get their first top 10 on the pop songs airplay chart in more than eight years. Good grief. As Ritmo, Bad Boys for Life with J Balvin, rises 11 to 10. It's the Peas' 12th top 10 single on the airplay chart, which ranks the week's most played songs on top 40 formatted radio stations. And it's their first top 10 on the list since way back in the spring and summer of 2011, when Just Can't Get Enough peaked at number two. Uh, The new song is actually their first top 10 hit without Fergie, who stepped away from the act back in 2017. As for J Balvin, it's his second top 10 on the pop songs chart after previously hitting number three with I Like It alongside Cardi B and Bad Bunny. Fun fact, Katie, Ritmo uh, samples quite blatantly Corona's The Rhythm of the Night, a uh, classic early 90s Euro dance hit, uh, which was a top 10 hit on the pop songs chart 25 years ago, reaching number nine on the January 21st, 1995 dated chart. I'd like to answer your fun fact with another fun fact. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Do tell. Uh, well, like a month and change ago, Jennifer Lopez got on Twitter and announced that she was going to be on a remix of this song where she she did the Rhythm of the Night female vocal. And then she deleted that tweet and it never materialized. <laughs> so I'm like really still waiting for it because it looked like they shot a music video and everything. So maybe they were waiting for the like maximum time to like capitalize. Maybe the song was like growing too big without the remix and so maybe they're waiting for the moment like that it starts dying down to like really jump on it. I don't know, but I need it. I need the J Lo version. Is what I'm so saying. she was so she was gonna come in and sing the uh, this is the rhythm rhythm the, rhythm. Yeah, the really weird <laughs> version the of the weird sample. Yeah. This 
is the rhythm, 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 rhythm. Are you sure it's rhythm? Because you're really slowing it down a bit. Well, and it sounded better because it was like sounded more human than it than it sounded like a robotic sample, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was actually I was I was like, is this really a sample? Um, fun fact, um, in a weird way, you know, since I noted how Fergie is in the group, um, even though the P's lost Fergie. There's still a female voice on this song because she's been effectively replaced by a sample of the woman who sang Rhythm of the Night. Well, maybe so, it clears the way for Fergie to just roll back in. Sure. <laughs> she's got or a part the, in the song already. <laughs> um, yet another fun fact, by the way, um, Corona uh, is not actually a solo female artist. I don't know if you knew that, Katie. Well, I assumed it because of the time period and how things were made back then. But but please tell me more. So Corona, as I discovered kind of belatedly, meaning today, um, Corona was actually a production act, basically a producer, you know, who hired people, you know, to sing songs that he created. Um, the producer was named Francesco Bontempi. And the woman who sang Rhythm of the Night was actually named Giovanna Bersola. Um, yet she was not the woman that you saw in the music video for the song. This is like this is like the '90s in a nutshell. What you're yeah. saying right now. I mean, it's it's CNC Music Factory, it's Black Box, it's all these things. Yeah, basically anything with Martha Wash is basically yes. she got screwed a whole lot. <laughs> but this one um, was Giovanna. <laughs> this one was Giovanna Bersola. Um, okay. Well, lastly, over on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, the weekends after hours spins a third straight week at the top of the tally. Atop the tally. I'll say that one more time. <laughs> Atop the tally. It's the first album to spend its first three weeks at number one since Post Malone's Hollywood's Bleeding also spent its first three weeks atop the chart last year. Now, all told, Posty's album has spent uh, five non-consecutive weeks at number one. It's just its first three were at number one, and then it came back for two return engagements. Uh, now, the last album before After Hours to have more than three weeks at number one was actually Roddy Rich's Please Excuse Me for Being Antisocial, which collected four non-consecutive weeks at number one between December and February. Most notably, it actually, every single one of those weeks was an isolated single week at number one. That's just how weirdly hmm. consistent that album has been. For all we know, it could go back to number one in the next few weeks. You never know. Well, and since we're talking about albums, it feels right to uh, talk about the weird album release calendar that we're currently dealing with that might be impacting some of these, uh, you know, positions on the chart at the moment. Um, this week, we were supposed to have gotten Lady Gaga's new album, Chromatica. It was slated for an April 10th release, so this past Friday, but it was pushed back by Gaga on March 24th saying it didn't feel right for her to release the album with all that is going on during this global pandemic. So a new release date has yet to be announced, and Chromatica is just one of a number of albums from A-list stars that has been pushed back to a new date or just postponed without a a date even announced yet. So some other albums that have been pushed include uh, Alicia Keys' The 1975, which actually is on its third release date now, Um, Sam Smith, Haim, Alec Benjamin, Sam Smith, and then the most recently announced one was uh, was Luke Bryan this past week. You said so Sam Keith. Smith twice. I apologize for that. Oh, I, uh... I did. <laughs> well, probably I should have read better. Well, also, <laughs> I, you know, we want to emphasize Sam Smith because not only did he postpone his album, he's changing the album title because it was originally named To Die For. And oh. he's uh, no longer going to name the album To Die For. Okay. Well... Yeah. 
So let's discuss why we think these albums are being pushed back while other albums like the Strokes album that came out this past Friday or Rod Wave's new album, which debuts at number two on the Billboard 200 this week, are still holding to their scheduled release dates. Um, well, I think no matter how much desire there is to release music that could uplift people and distract them from our current reality, um, there is also a reality in that some artists you know, feel it's perhaps unseemly to promote something uh, during a pandemic where people are, frankly, dying, they are losing their jobs, they are filing for unemployment, and generally more concerned with finding or sewing a mask to wear out in public and how to work from home and also be a school teacher to their now homebound children. So I can see if you are in that situation where you're an artist and thinking, I have to go out there and hawk my wares and I want someone to part with their money Mm -hmm. and, you know, not buy groceries or maybe consider, oh, I don't want to buy that thing of carrots. Maybe I'll buy this album. I think some artists might feel a little bit kind of about that. And frankly, I don't I don't necessarily blame them. And and then just logistically, it's harder to promote an album when there are not these traditional means available to do so, like. For instance, the first thing to go was concerts and tours, live performances, etc. No pop-up shops, no festivals, no in-studio performances at late-night shows or the morning shows. Um, you know, the list just goes on and on. And, of course, there are these shows that are forging ahead, like um, pretty much all the late-night shows, all the 11.30 p.m. Yeah, Colbert and, shows. and uh, Fallon, all those things are still going. Yeah, but it's uh, it's different, <laughs> you know. These <laughs> to say the least. It, yeah, I know. Like I, I, I tuned into a little bit of a episode of Watch What Happens Live, um, on Bravo, and then saw somebody be like, "Can't somebody like send a better microphone to Andy Cohen or something?" It's like the production value is something, and then like you're at the mercy of whatever the artist is dealing with in their home. I mean, people are making it work, but it's it's just different, completely different from um, the the regular album release, you know, rigmarole. Yeah, I haven't seen. Well, now it makes me wonder. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like, luckily, Katie and I. I mean, I mean to turn this back to us, but when we when we uh, departed our offices for the last time back in mid March, we each took home our normal mics that we normally use and the recorders we normally use. But we didn't think that we were going to be like we we thought we were only going to be probably out of the office for a short time. We didn't really think. I mean, I know I didn't think of it in that no. terms. Like, did you think that we would be sitting here a month later? Mm, I didn't. No, no, no. But we might have a better mic than Andy Cohen is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, well, that's well, you think that they I'm would sort joking. of get on that. Know. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, OK, well, you know, aside from that, you know, you also have, you know, the thing where you could be an artist that relies on album sales. And, and if you are an album, if you are an album, if you are an artist that relies on album sales in any sort of significant capacity, you are likely pushing your album back. You know, artists like Lady Gaga and, and Luke Bryan and Sam Smith will all still, you know, rely on on traditional album sales to a degree. And yes, they all stream, you know, but country still has to catch up to rap in terms of streaming dominance. You know, rap artists don't need to sell anything because they're so huge on streaming services, but country and pop, not so much. So right. they were still probably expecting to sell albums inside stores. But with folks going to stores a lot less, at least the ones that are still open, and also 
being a lot more choosy about how to spend their money, um, you know, that is a huge concern, especially if stores like Walmart and Target, who are still open right now because they have groceries and essential goods, they're probably a lot more focused on keeping groceries in stock than trying to ensure that their music department is set up correctly. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I go to the grocery store, like they're probably not too focused on making sure the magazines are sorted out correctly. They're focused on the toilet paper section right now. Yeah, and just to piggyback off that, like I think that a lot of the younger fans, the ones that we hear from the most on socials and and, um, get the most feedback from are the ones that are pretty streaming forward. And so they kind of wonder, wait, why can't Gaga just put her album up on streaming? I want to hear her album now. I, um, I still have my Spotify account, so I'm going to be listening to Gaga's album or whatever the case may be. Um, it's, it's a little, it's more complicated than that for many business reasons. And for like Gaga said, she just feels maybe gross about the whole thing too. Yeah, I mean, she could she put out the album? Yes, absolutely. She could drop it this Friday if she wants. But, you know, you want to, I think if you're an artist, you want to kind of roll out your album the way you intended to roll it out. You know, you wanted to, to, to execute your vision for the release of your artistic baby the way that you wanted to. Yeah, you know? and The weekend is actually a good example too because he kind of snuck in a little bit, I think... I'm pretty sure, I don't want to say this out of turn, but I'm pretty sure he was the final live music guest on SNL before they went dark. And well, I think Dua Lipa was supposed to be the next musical guest she after was. that. She was. Suppo- well, she was supposed to be on the 28th, March 28th show, and her album was also supposed to come out in April, but lots of things changed on that front. Um, but uh, But for the weekend, it's like he kind of snuck in the traditional media a little bit. You know, he had a big variety cover story. He had the SNL. He, he got um, fortunate because it was right, right, right when things were getting kind yeah. of like wonky. You know, exactly. and he, he had a lot of lead up that was building up into it. So, yes. and I think everyone after that is kind of like, ooh, what do we do? Yeah, um, I think it's been tricky for everyone since then. Yeah. I mean, also, if if you're mostly a streaming oriented act, you know, basically any rap act right now at this point, you may not think twice about releasing your album. You know, all you have to do is get on the front page of Apple Music or Spotify and get some choice playlist placements and your album will do just fine. As we saw this past week with Rod Wave with his album came out on the 27th. No, 3rd, April 3rd, um, debuted at number two on the Billboard 200. Heck, Sam Hunt's album even came out. Uh, as scheduled, which was I was wildly surprised by. Um, yeah, he, but it, you know, it maybe didn't do as well as people expected, though. Too there's that too. Like Sam Hunt, you know, he didn't have a ticket bundle, um, which is always sort of the the key to a lot of albums that don't stream. Um, and he probably would have sold stronger had it been a normal time where yeah. you could have like the full in-cap display at Walmart and you do the full court press where you're playing all the morning shows because there's probably quite a few people that didn't even know that Sam Hunt had a new album but would have bought it if they had known about it and they're just they're distracted with everything else that's going on right now. Uh, yeah, yes. And then on the other side of the spectrum there's there's artists who really count on the indie record store business. Um, you know, out here in LA, that's Amoeba Music is the biggest record store, but then there's a lot of independent, smaller places as well. Right. Um, 
and most of those brick and mortar indie stores are are closed down because um they're not considered essential and yeah they're doing sales via mail or i know you had sent me something about a record store doing curbside pickup yeah but i wonder if even that is still happening um given a lot of the you know individual state orders yeah, right you now have to be, you have to be real crafty right now right um, right all that said, you know, sales can still be generated still, you know, via a big concert ticket album sale redemption offer that's tied to your album. Uh, you know, The weekend had one with his upcoming tour, which is allegedly going to start in June, which I assume it could be pushed back at this point and who knows when. Um, the Luke, the Luke Bryan, the 1975 and <laughs> Luke Bryan both have ticket bundles. Their albums are pushed back. But, you know, I assume all these tours are still going to happen at some point. They just may may very well be pushed back until the winter time or next year. I mean, who knows? Um, oh, that New York Times article that said they had the health expert who's like, I think live events will be back in fall twenty twenty one. I'm like, I know, bro, bro. I know. Oh my god! <laughs> the idea, just... the very concept of that is so insane. Well, it's just it's just that is a topic for another day. But yeah, I just I mean, immediately it's all speculative thought of, at this point. So speculative, we don't know, but. Um, yeah, so there's our thoughts about <laughs> why these albums are probably getting, you know, postponed or pushed back. And um, there's actually a story on Billboard.com if you just sort of search delayed albums uh, at yep. Billboard.com. There's a whole sort of running tally of kind of like the big guns that are being pushed back. Yeah, we're we're updating it constantly and, and trying to put the newer ones up top. So um, definitely just stay tuned to Billboard.com to see where those all land and uh and you know i'm sure we'll be talking about it in the months coming ahead all right well uh now it's time for the chart stat of the week 35 years ago this week the all-star group usa for africa saw its charity single we are the world hit number one on the billboard hot 100 the song climbed two to one on the chart dated April 13th, 1985, and spent four weeks atop the list. The song was the brainchild of Harry Belafonte uh, and inspired by the success of another charity single, 1984's Do They Know It's Christmas. Uh, now, the latter song raised funds for famine relief in Africa and also became a smash single that we still hear to, uh, to this day every Christmas time. Um, now, We Are the World was billed to the artist USA for Africa. Um, and basically, it was just a a name for a huge grouping of all the biggest stars in the world in 1985. Uh, there were more than 20 soloists who sang on the song, including Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Wonder, and Bob Dylan, as well as a choir that boasted Bette Midler, Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac, the Pointer Sisters, and even Dan Aykroyd. Now, by 1986, organizers of USA for Africa announced that the song, uh, We Are the World, and all of the associated merchandise and fundraising that came along with the campaign had raised more than $50 million in 1986 dollars, by the way, uh, for humanitarian aid. So there you have it. 35 years ago this week, We Are the World hit number one on the Hot 100 chart. All righty, Katie. Um, we've reached the did end of our happen, big show. Did you happen to see the headline about Lionel Richie saying that he wants to do a new We Are the World for coronavirus? Really? Mm -hmm. uh, did he have any suggestions for who he'd like to be on the song? 
I didn't see that, but I would love to hear his thoughts. Um, well, <laughs> well, you know, uh, back in 2010, uh, they did another version of We Are the World. It was called We Are the World 25 for Haiti. Yes. And it was credited to artists for Haiti. And Lionel Richie himself was on the song, um, as was, I remember, I think, Justin Bieber may have had the I first or second Justin line. I remember Justin Bieber. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand was on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if Lionel says dolls. it's a go, Lionel, Lionel, you know, he can he can make that call. He's the guy. Yeah. Uh, Lionel, who knows? It could be time for another We Are the World. I mean, they did. Do they know it's Christmas a bunch of times every so yeah. often? So yeah. anything is possible. All right. So what song should we go out on, Katie? Oh, man. Should we go out uh, in a really weird fashion? Because this is not a pop song at all. Should we go out on on Bob Dylan's very first number one song on any Billboard chart? Oh, sure. <laughs> or are you like, maybe we shouldn't go out on the the seventeen minute long JFK? Would you like to song? explain to the listener what you're referring to, since we haven't yes. mentioned it at all in the entire show? Well, you mentioned Bob Dylan's name when you were talking about USA for Africa, and that is why uh, I bring it up. But um, he has a new song. It is literally just under 17 minutes long. It is called Murder Most Foul, and it is about the JFK assassination. And it, according to our colleague Gary Trust, is actually getting radio airplay in some places, which is wild to think. It's not like an abridged version. They're playing the whole thing. And it is the very first time ever that uh, Bob Dylan has had a number one song on a Billboard chart. And it is, I'm just going to make sure. Number I have one on our rock digital song sales chart. Thank you. I was going to make yeah. sure I had the title right. There you but go. yeah, so there Murder you go, Most Dylan. Foul. So here you go. Let's hear a taste of Murder Most Follow from Dylan. See you guys next time. Bye. It was a dark day in Dallas, November 63. A day that would live on in infamy. President Kennedy was a right line. Good day to be living and a good day to die.